Chapter 16 of Loafing Along Death Valley Trails by William Carruthers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 Long Man, Short Man. Before Tonopah, the first, and Greenwater, the last of the boom camps, Indians roaming the desert from Utah westward were showing trails to two Hikos who were to become symbols for the reckless courage needed to exist in the wasteland. They were known as Long Man and Short Man previous pages have given part of the story of long man coming into death valley country in the late nineties ralph jacobus fairbanks wanted to know its water holes trails and landmarks he hired panamint tom brother of hungry bill as a guide because tom's name was linked with bills and stories of missing men fairbanks carried a six-gun panamint tom was also armed when they reached the rim of death valley and started down fairbanks said tom this is indian country you know it i don't you go first taking no chance on a surprise night attack he directed the layout of the camp so that their beds were safely apart each slept with his gun around the campfire tom nonchalantly confessed that he'd had to kill five white men the mission accomplished they started back when they came out of the valley tom said long man this is white man's country you know it i don't you go first in after years referring to their trip tom said long man you heap frayed that time i was fairbanks confessed me too tom said when the goldfield strike was made fairbanks saw that a supply station on the main line of travel was a surer way to wealth than the gamble of digging he knew of a ranch with good water and luxuriant wild hay at ash meadows hay was worth two hundred dollars a ton the owner had abandoned the ranch however and moved into the hills fairbanks could get little information concerning his whereabouts up there somewhere he was told with a gesture indicating fifty miles of skyline but he wanted the hay and started out and by patient inquiry located his man just before daylight on the second day what will you give for it the man asked well fairbanks parried you know it'll cost me as much as the ranch is worth to get rid of that wild grass having only a vague idea of its real worth he had decided to offer four thousand dollars but sensed the man's eagerness to sell and started to offer a thousand dollars suddenly it occurred to him that someone else might have made an offer i'll go two thousand dollars and not a nickel more you've bought a ranch the owner said elated fairbanks wrote a contract by candlelight on the spot both signed and they started back to find a notary i determined the fellow should not get out of my sight until the deed was recorded if he wanted a drink of water so did i if he wished to speak to someone i wanted a word with the same man finally the deal was closed and fairbanks started home outside he met at metcalf chuckling what's so funny ed metcalf pointed to the departing cellar he was just telling me about being worried to death all morning for fear a sucker he'd found would get out of his sight he's been trying to unload his ranch for five hundred dollars and some idiot gave him two thousand fairbanks also operated a freighting service to the boom towns in the gold belt as far north as goldfield and tonopah rates were fantastic and he made a fortune he opened Beatty's first cafe in a tent money was plentiful and after a trip with a sixteen-mule team over rough roads to goldfield he was ready for a relaxing change to poker when the white chips were twenty-five dollars the reds fifty dollars and the blues five hundred dollars the game is not for pikers and he would bet ten thousand dollars as calmly as he would ten cents 
in such a game one night he found himself sitting beside a player who had removed his big overcoat with wide patch pockets and hung it on his chair fairbanks noticed the fellow had a habit of gathering in the discards when he wasn't betting and his deal would follow he also noticed intermittent movements of the fellow's deft fingers to the big patch pocket and soon saw that every ace in the deck reposed in the pocket later in the game fairbanks opened a jackpot every man stayed the crook raised discreetly and most of the players stayed fairbanks bet a thousand dollars have to raise you five thousand dollars the crook said fairbanks met the raise and it'll cost you five thousand dollars more he said evenly with the confidence that came from the cashed aces the sharper shoved out the five smiled exultantly as he spread four kings and a deuce and reached for the pot not so fast fairbanks said as he laid four aces and a ten on the table the crook gave him a quick look fairbanks eyes were steady neither said a word the crook couldn't he knew that fairbanks long fingers had found the big patch pocket when three men and a jackass no longer made a crowd in shoshone ralph fairbanks became restless with a population of twenty half of it his own progeny he felt that civilization was closing in on him charlie i've been in one place too long he had now become dad fairbanks to all who knew him the automobile was being increasingly used in desert travel and transcontinental trips were no longer a daring adventure or the result of a bet sixty miles south of shoshone there was a wretched road that pitched down the washboard slope of one range into a basin then up the gully crossed slopes of another part of the transcontinental highway it was a headache to the traveler radiators usually boiled downhill and up to this desolate spot went dad fairbanks the hot blasts from the dunes of the devil's playground and the dry bed of soda lake made summer a hell and the freezing winds from providence mountains turned it into a siberian winter here in nineteen twenty eight dad fairbanks built cabins and a store and installed a gas pump water was hauled in coming or going he said when they reach this place they've just got to stop cool the engine and fill up for the hill ahead the place is baker on highway ninety one here as at shoshone sales technique was tossed into the ash can stopping for dinner one day i met dad coming out of the dining room how's the fare i asked are you hungry hungry as a bear all right go in a hungry man can stand anything then in an undertone he added employment agent sent me the world's worst cook take eggs later as we talked in the sheltered driveway a rolls-royce limousine drove up and a well-fed and smartly tailored tourist stepped out and spoke to dad do you know me he asked dad looked at him hesitantly oh, face is familiar you loaned me three hundred dollars twenty-five years ago well, i loaned a lot of fellows money but i never paid it back a hell of a lot of em didn't dad said the stranger reached into his pocket pulled a thousand dollars from a roll and handed it to dad i'm harry oakes he said where's ma so they went over to dad's house and with ma fairbanks who had shared all of dad's fortunes good and bad they sat down and oakes talked of the long trail that led from three hundred borrowed dollars to an annual income of five million harry oakes had gone to canada and learning that the legal title to a mining claim would expire at midnight on a certain date he and his partner w g wright sat up in a temperature of forty below to relocate the lake shore mine canada's richest gold property 
born in maine harry oakes became a subject of england and was at this time canada's richest citizen with an estimated fortune of two hundred million dollars it was a long way from the niagara palace back to greenwater and shoshone and as ma fairbanks and dad and harry sat in the plain little desert cottage i couldn't keep from wondering why a man with two hundred million dollars would wait twenty-five years to repay that three hundred dollars in his native town of Sangerville in Maine, Harry Oakes was criticized when, as a youngster with every opportunity to pursue a successful career according to the staid Maine formula, he became excited by gold. Quick, easy money. Uh, just a dreamer. He talked big, acted big, and was big. But Harry Oakes started out in life to make a fortune by finding a gold mine, and you can't laugh aside the determination and courage with which he stuck to his purpose until he succeeded. Dad Fairbanks spent nearly fifty years in Death Valley country, and it is a bit ironical that at last the Baker climate drove him from the desert to Santa Paula, and later, of all places, to Hollywood. I should never have believed it of you, I kidded. Hell, Dad retorted, I wanted solitude. Haven't you got enough sense to know that the loneliest place on God Almighty's earth is a city? He died in 1943, and at the funeral were the state's greatest men and its humblest, bankers, lawyers, doctors, beggarmen, muckers, and miners, and with them those he loved best, sun-baked fellows from the towns and the gulches along the borough trails. No man who has lived in Death Valley country did more to put the region on the must-list of the American tourist, and none won more of the regard and affection of the people. End of chapter 16